Good morning, Kent Cove. It's good to see you all. Good to be with you this morning. This morning we continue our series um, that we are currently in talking about what it means and how we become whole, joyfully whole in God's presence and, and how we do that uh, pursuing life together. And so um, we're going to be looking at a text from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 12 and go through verse 17. It reads like this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space, where heaven and earth meet. Amen. So this morning, before I begin, I want to express gratitude to you, our, this congregation, for the love and care and support that you have expressed to, I have to look over here, uh, to Gretchen and I, uh, and especially to Gretchen, <sighs> at the loss of her mother. <clears throat> we very much appreciate the prayers and the cards and the words of encouragement. Uh, someone asked me if I did the funeral, um, and I was asked, Gretchen's mom asked me at Christmas, and I said no, and I think she was hurt. Uh, I did read a scripture, a psalm at the funeral, and what you saw there was um, a very small piece of what happened when I read the psalm. And so when I sat down, I said to my sister-in-law, and this is why Corey did not try to do the service. Um, at any rate, we appreciate so deeply your support and care, and so wanted to express that thanks to you publicly. Um, and it's interesting because it ties into a thread that I've seen play out over the last month or so here at Kent Cove. We have had a, a string, it seems like, of funerals in the last several weeks. And one of the things that I've noticed 
And it's not necessarily unique to Kent Cove, but Kent Cove does a good job of it, is the care that is, that is expressed by the congregation towards those families who are grieving the loss of a loved one through um, this funeral service, through the lunches, through car, all of that stuff, cards, care, all of those things. And it's really kind of a living example of what we're talking about in this series, this pursuing joyful wholeness in Christ. It's this uh, coming together in the midst of life, in the joy of life, in the challenge of life, in the, in the um, difficult times, in times of grief, and it, and it really is a part of that bearing one another's burdens that we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. Um, but as we get to the text, I wanted to give a little bit of context because we jump in uh, at, in verse 12, with Paul saying, therefore. Now, I've said this before, uh, and I've said it enough times in my life that I don't credit it anymore. I actually heard it from a seminary professor for the first time. But uh, they taught us that any time you see a therefore in Scripture, you need to stop and ask, what is it there for? Right? Because oftentimes we read these and we just roll on through and we don't really look at the, the wider context of where that verse is landing. And so if you read the section um, immediately in front of uh, where Paul is in verse 12 when he says, therefore, you'll see a long laundry list of different things that the, uh, the church in Colossae should put off or take off or stop doing, one of them being primarily lying to each other, apparently. We don't know a lot of context about it, but essentially um, Paul in verse 9 says, do not lie to each other. Interesting that he so specifically calls that out. There are other things that he calls out specifically too, but then he goes on in verse 11 to reiterate a theme that you will pick up in several of Paul's letters. And it's actually central, I think, to Paul's understanding of the gospel. And it is the erasure of any kind of class distinction. In fact, it's the erasing of any distinction at all. Because in verse 11, he says, here, meaning the church, or here in Christ, there is no... Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all, and Christ is in all. Then he goes on to say, therefore, as, Christ, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So because Christ has removed these things, these separations, that then we are to put on Christ in a different way. So here in the context, what Paul has been saying to the church and to us is essentially don't lie to each other, don't be given to anger, envy, uh, greed, all those different things that he lists in the verses prior to this, and also reminds us that in Christ, there is no separation. There's no hierarchy. There is none of the things that we so desperately love as human beings that set us apart from one another. 
Paul wants to reiterate over and over again that in Christ there is no. And it seems like we in the church, and this I could slide off into a bunch of unscripted comments. I'm not going to do it this morning. But you could slide off because there is no means there is no. We always want to slide back into, well, there is no but. Um, and we have our little subtext, right? As if we can just kind of sneak it in. Well, we know we're all equal in Christ, but, right? And Paul wants us to remember that Christ erases any loyalty or preference given by any of the distinctions that we like to make. Nationality, Gentile or Jew. He says, no preference. Religion, circumcised or uncircumcised. No preference. Culture. Barbarian or Scythian, meaning, uh, you know, code word in that culture, non-Greek speaking, right? Or perhaps, you know, depending on where you were, non, not a Roman citizen, Roman citizen, right? Or, you know, we like, to, we like to, in our culture, do things like, you know, oh, well, I'm an American, and, uh, but those immigrants are not. Forgetting that, um, spoiler alert, <laughs> Somewhere in our heritage, we were all immigrants. And so Paul says, culture is no, there's no preference in culture. There's no preference in social caste, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. There is no other distinction that matters in this community. The only distinction that matters <clears throat> is Jesus. And so then Paul moves into this section in verse 12 where he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, because Christ has done this, now you do this. You don't do this to earn what Christ has done. You do it in response to what Christ has done. So therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Notice, you are holy not because of what you did, but because of what Christ did. That's another one of those places where we like to slide that little distinction in. Oh, I, I don't participate in this, that, or the other thing. And somehow that makes me holy. No, that might make you zealous, which can be or cannot be a good thing. Christ makes you holy. Being in Christ makes you holy and dearly loved. Then Paul goes on to say, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This phrase, clothe yourself, is um, exactly what it sounds like. It is the idea of taking off an old set of clothes which he listed in the prior verses, right? Envy, malice, greed, anger, lying, all of those things. That's the old suit of clothes. Clothe yourselves in these things. It's an active choice to take off the old behaviors and put on different behaviors. To take off the old way of being and put on the new way of being. It also probably is a reference to baptism because Paul says in Romans that when we are baptized into Christ, we are baptized into his death and brought up in his resurrection. 
old, new. Clothe yourselves. And then um, it's so clearly referring back to verse 8 and the list of things that were to, the old clothes that were to take off and then the list of new clothes that were to put on. And the interesting thing here is that the tense of the word that is used, clothe yourself, it uh, speaks of an action to be undertaken with a sense of urgency, right? So this is not the, uh, well, you know, if you get around to it, it's fine. If not, no worries. You know, it's not that. It's like an imperative. Do it. Do it quickly. There's a sense of urgency to it. Then what happens is Paul, as he goes through these next verses, he shows what that life then would look like as you walk around in the new clothes that Christ has given you. So what does it look like if we're dressed in Christ's clothes? Paul, in verse 13, says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If anyone of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I don't know about you, but this verse draws me up short. Right? I mean, for one thing, it's so... um, Pauline in the sense of sometimes Paul does this thing, and one of the reasons I love him, at least this is the way I read Paul. I could be completely wrong about this, but I always read Paul like Paul has a little edge of sarcasm, right? There's a little bit of, you know, because listen again to this, to this verse. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. As if people don't have grievances, as if people who live in community or family don't rub up against each other in the wrong way. Right? I mean, it's no, it's no surprise that obviously we would have grievances against one another. Now, they might be small, although the small ones, man, they can really get you sometimes. Or they can be huge. Right? And so we have to learn to discern because one of the things that happens is this idea of bearing with the thought of putting up with things that we dislike in others and then then the command to forgive as the Lord forgave you, which is what draws me up short, right? Because that's not just, uh, it's all right. That's costly forgiveness. That's forgiveness that costs something. But I want to pause here because I recognize and I want to say very clearly and be careful about how we apply this verse. Because for too long in the church, this verse has been used to apply in a way that uh, traps people in toxic or abusive relationships. That is not what Paul is talking about. Right? Paul is talking about here the the kinds of things that happen in community that are normal and natural to human life. In other words, you know, the way that guy is constantly sniffing his nose drives me insane. Or that guy's politics really torque me off. Or, you know, those kinds of things. But if we're talking about grievous sin that's, a, that's toxic and dangerous to people, that is not what Paul is talking about. He's not saying, oh, well, that doesn't matter. Okay? 
And unfortunately, for too long in the church, we have, we have pretended like that applies in those situations, and it doesn't. You can still forgive as Christ forgave you and draw a boundary around a relationship to say, you know what? I forgive you as Christ forgave me, but I'm not putting myself in proximity to you. I'm not putting myself in relationship with you anymore because it's harmful to me. But having said that, this is the hard work of community, right? The hard work of community, as I've said over and over again, is staying at the table. And one of the things that we in our culture have become really poor at, in the la- especially in the last five to ten years, is staying at the table. The minute somebody steps on our toes, we're gone. The minute somebody doesn't agree with us, we're gone. The minute somebody says something that uh, challenges our beliefs, we're gone. That is what Paul is talking about. Because just from the list that is given in this, in this text, it's clear that there's some very real problems and tensions in the Colossian church. And what Paul is saying is bear with one another. Stay at the table and practice the things that build community. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time. So Paul lays all this out. And in verse 14, he says, And over all these virtues, the list that he just gave, over all of them, Church, hear this. Over all of them, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Here's a challenge for us. Oftentimes, the way that we uh, choose to express and live into these things that the things that we're supposed to clothe ourselves with compassion kindness hum, humility gentleness and patience we decide that we get to uh, dis, we get to decide how those things get implemented and somehow in our brokenness in our sinfulness we weaponize them And Paul seems to know that because right after listing them, he says this this phrase, and over all these virtues, put on love. Choose love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Does it remind you of a, a different place where Paul says to a church that if you do all these things but have not you sound like a ganging a, a ganging, a clanging gong or crashing symbol. We have to choose to put on love. Well, how do we do this? Because quite frankly, there are days, there are weeks when it seems like a lot. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. It it seems like a lot. There are those people where to choose to love them, that's a big ask. And if we're honest, there are times, seasons, days, habits that we each have, let's flip it around, that make us hard to love. So how do we do it? Well, we choose it over and over and over again. 
And that's hard. And that takes energy. And that takes some connection to Christ. And the, the thing that's amazing about Paul is as you follow his logic through these verses, it's like he anticipates all of this stuff, right? He anticipates what it is that the problem's going to be. And so as he says this, that we should put on love, which by, over all of these other ones we have to put on love, then he moves on to say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, And when you first read it, it might seem like kind of a non sequitur, right? Like it doesn't follow. Like why are you jumping from putting on love to letting Christ rule in our hearts? Well, I think it'll become apparent as we move through. The word here that is translated in English, rule, um, is an expressive term that's only used this one time in uh, in the New Testament. Now, we've got some seminarians and former pastors around. Do you guys remember what that's called? Don't leave me hanging, guys. Come on. Are you in the room? Maybe not. Hapax, yeah. Yeah. So it, it happens one time only in the New Testament. And, this, and it's to, um, literally translated, it's to act as umpire. Interesting, right? To let the peace of Christ rule, to act as umpire in your hearts. Um, So Paul is saying that um, as we try to put on love, as we try to live into these, put on these new clothes, that we're we're to allow Christ to act as the umpire in our hearts, which is interesting, right? So instead of our hurt feelings, instead of our pride, instead of our ego, instead of our whatever, it's that it's Christ, the peace of Christ is what rules or determines our heart. And then he goes on to say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful, period. Three-word sentence. And be thankful. Now, a little self-revelation here. Uh, It's always dangerous for a preacher. Uh, I've said before, you know, we've done, uh, uh, in our family, we've done a little bit of Enneagram work. Um, I'm a five, which means I'm very... Uh, I'm in my head a lot. Um, I like to say I have a feeling, a feeling, one, um, and I thought it, right? (laughs) That's just kind of the way I interact with the world when I'm not being healthy, right? And one of the other things that happens for me as a five is that I tend to view the world, uh, the glass, if you will, as half empty rather than half full, Uh, and there will never be enough time or energy. I have to conserve it because you just never know when you're going to need it, right? One of the other things that, uh, that I deal with just as a person is depression, and so I have to constantly be working, uh, to monitor and to keep myself healthy, right? 
And here's the thing, that little three-word sentence that Paul just dropped on us, uh, the older I get, the longer I follow Jesus, the more I am convinced that gratitude is the key to the spiritual life. And I'm not talking about just like, I'm talking about deep gratitude. Because if we find, if we can practice gratitude, and it does take practice, all of the sudden we start to decenter ourselves as the center of the world. And we start to be thankful for what Jesus did in our life. And, and that allows us to allow Christ to rule in our hearts, which allows us to clothe ourselves in humility, gentleness, self, all the things that Paul just listed. But I'm convinced that if the first step in the spiritual life is acknowledging, accepting, recognizing Jesus, however, whatever words you want to use to frame that relationship, the second step is gratitude. And so I want to talk about, give you some tips on how to be thankful. Gratitude is intimately associated with peace. If we can find ourselves and work and do the work to be truly grateful, we will experience Christ's peace in our hearts. And guess what? What did Jesus say about the heart? He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Community would be a lot different if we were a lot more grateful. So how might we practice gratitude? The first is, I think, the first tip I can give you is consistency. It's um, you learn to, to see by doing. As I mentioned, I'm a glass half empty kind of guy naturally. And uh, when I get in uh, kind of a bad rhythm, that glass isn't half full anymore. That glass is like half full and draining, right? And, that's, and you, start to, you start to see things, right? Well, guess what? You see what you look for. And so if you train yourself to be grateful, you start to recognize that there are things to be grateful for. So, but you have to do it consistently. Now I'm not talking about, I know there's been a lot of talk in, in culture these days about toxic positivity. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being truly deepful, deeply grateful. So consistency, do it every day. In some seasons it will be hard. Challenge yourself to keep a gratitude journal. I've mentioned before, I have a gratitude, it's not really a journal, I have a text string with my brothers because we all struggle with depression. It's a genetic thing in our family, right? And so we have a, a text string and the, the, every morning it's for T-I-A-G colon. Today I am grateful colon and we have to list at least three things. Now granted, some days it's like, it's like light. So I'm grateful for coffee, I'm grateful for breath, I'm grateful for, right, because there are those seasons when it's hard that way. But here's uh, some advice I found recently about the gratitude journal that is helpful. Um, this, and this was in relation to a, um, a writing assignment that a professor gave, but she wrote, the assignment said this, instead, um, as in, in all writing, strive to be specific and precise. So instead of saying you are thankful for your home, 
You can say you are thankful for the angle of sunrise, sun rays that come through your kitchen window and light up a patch on the floor. Instead of saying you are thankful for your mom, you, you can say you are thankful for her laugh that sounds like a hyena. Instead of saying you are thankful for food, you can say you are thankful for the way a bite of chocolate slowly melts as you hold it in your mouth. The, atten <laughs> the attention we give to the details of the big things in our lives cause us to feel gratitude for them rather than only to be grateful for them. So just some, some help there. But brothers and sisters, all of this is to say that this matters for us as we seek to clothe ourselves in Christ and as we seek to pursue joyful wholeness together as a community. Deep, rich Christian community, or friendship in general, does not happen by accident. It happens because we made a choice to show up over and over again. And yes, that is awkward. But we have to choose to show up over and over again. One of the reasons that gathering for corporate worship is so important is not so that we can show attendance numbers and all of those different things. It's because as we gather together consistently and we begin to weave ourselves into each other's lives, community starts to happen. But we have to choose over and over again to show up. And so I encourage you to do that. I want to close this morning and just read to you this, these last several verses from Colossians. And I want you to hear them as Paul's instruction to us as Kent Cove and to you as individuals. And I'm going to read it from the message. And it reads like this. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Amen.